Hi folks, welcome to episode 29 of the Old Guy Gaming podcast. My name is Giles Nicholson. I'm Giles Rock West on Twitter, Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. And I'm recording Friday the 19th of February on a really dismal Friday here in the UK. Uh, I think last time I spoke to you, it was glorious and sunny how things can change because right now my mood is reflected in those grey clouds outside, but I'm pleased to be talking to you guys again and looking forward to what should prove to be quite a busy week, I think. Um, Looks like we are going into a really quiet period for new releases. Um, So I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to hitting that backlog, uh, making some progress. I've given up ever completing it, uh, you know, getting through it, but um, trying to uh, trying to be a bit more selective now. So, um, yeah, I've got a few games I'm really looking forward to re- revisiting, particularly um, particularly games that have had some kind of update or enhancement for next gen. Um, on my Xbox Series X, I am really uh, enjoying going back to some games I previously loved and seeing them even in, you know, better nick, which we will get to because that's one of the pieces of news for this time. Um, I say next gen, I will only be on Series X because this week I have been mostly failing to uh, get a PlayStation 5. I decided to really go for it this time with another round of um, console drops here in the UK. Uh, It doesn't look like there was much stock at any of the shops, but uh, I missed all of it. So uh, congratulations if you managed to get hold of one this time. Uh, Stock remains painfully hard to get hold of um so yeah i'm definitely in the market for a ps5 uh and looking forward to snagging one um but right now i'm just having to be patient like the rest of us and like i said not much coming out over the next um few months really on on either either of the new consoles um that said it has been a busy week for news uh i've been surprised actually just recapping what to cover for today's show and yeah the last two weeks has been mostly smaller stories nothing nothing megaton i'd say but quite a few really interesting ones i think things where i've got uh, i think a fair bit to say so really looking forward to running through that with you and let's get to that now So first things first, um, this technically was some news from before the last episode, and I totally forgot to mention it. Um, And I think it is, well, it's interesting, I think. It's it's both a really big story and, in a way, probably totally irrelevant to most of us, which is why uh, it slipped my mind entirely last time. Um, But also why I really wanted to cover it, because I do think this says something about the direction of where things are going. Um, So as you might have guessed uh, from that description, in fact, let's see if anyone did guess, I was talking about Stadia uh, and the fact that they have decided to close their internal game development studios. So yeah, briefly wanted to touch on Stadia, even though this was Um, really a story from before the last pod um, because there has been a bit of an update since but also I I think it's genuinely a really really big piece of news so uh, if you missed it um, Stadia uh, announced rather Phil Harrison boss at 
Stadia announced that they were going to refocus on the platform as a home for streaming games by other publishers. So that's uh, according to The Verge, who reported it back at the start of February. Um, so really interesting. They were um, they were trying to develop games in house uh, over at Google, and um, yeah, they have made the decision to shutter all of that and just be a platform for sort of publishing existing games. And you know, it is its own platform. Stadia it, it isn't just sort of streaming PC games, but effectively, this is you know a streaming platform now for existing. PC games, which, you know, I think narrows the attraction of Stadia even more um, and does beg the question, what exactly is it going to do? You know, who's it for? What's the point of it? Um, So, you know, they're not closing Stadia, certainly not yet. Um, But this, to me, uh, is a it's not a very encouraging sign for that platform. Uh, and although I'm laughing, you know, I say that with no uh, particular pleasure because um, I'm sure people will uh, be losing their jobs in this situation. Uh, although they did say most most of the team will be moving to new roles within Google. So hopefully um, that most is doing a lot of uh, a lot of heavy lifting and it covers genuinely nearly all of the people involved or they've found other opportunities um but yeah if you were developing games at stadia for stadia um well you aren't anymore now one of the people who definitely isn't there anymore is jade redmond who was uh, leading the uh sort of internal studios at uh stadia um and i um yeah, I'm really interested. I, I don't know if if anyone's sort of roughly my my age or got interested in gaming, um, certainly the business side of gaming, uh, kind of around um, similar time. Then Jade Redmond was a like kind of a celebrity producer. Really, she was um, involved in. She was a producer on the first Assassin's Creed and became quite a high profile figure. Um, in terms of you know being a woman in the industry, which was unfortunately not common then, and you know not much more common now in terms of leadership roles. So um, still lots of work to do there. Um, but yeah, just her role on Assassin's Creed, and then as an exec producer on Assassin's Creed Two, Brotherhood, and some of the other Ubisoft franchises. She worked on Watch Dogs and Splinter Cell Blacklist. Um, you know, she was a really celebrated uh, member of the industry. Um, and since Ubisoft, she has had a bit of a rough time of it because she left to go to EA uh, and was developing Project Radtag, a cancelled Star Wars game with Amy Hennig from uh, Uncharted fame. Uh, so that was kind of the first uh, unfortunate move for her. And then since then, going to Google uh, and developing whatever they've been developing there, um, that's also um, kind of come to nothing. So just... I just found it really interesting from an industry point of view that, you know, one of the um, really big figures in the industry, Jade Redmond, and just for context, um, it was interesting, I was looking uh, that she was apparently named one of 
the few video game execs in Variety's 2018 list of the 500 most influential business leaders shaping the global entertainment industry. Uh, that is straight out of Wikipedia, as you might be able to tell, but shows really that, you know, she was a major figure, is a major figure in the industry, um, and she now has no games uh, to show for her last five years of work. So the last game on her uh, on her entry, wiki entry, is uh, a free-to-play game from 2015 at Ubisoft, and the one before that was Watch Dogs, the original Watch Dogs in 2014. Um, so someone who is, you know, as as that entry says, one of the few video game execs in that sort of top 500 influential entertainment figures. Um, and yeah, has nothing to show for over five years, you know, uh, worth of work, which is, you know, bad luck uh, or bad judgment or one of a combination of the two. But um, interesting where she'll go to next. And hopefully wherever it is, um, she will be able to um, get, a, get a product to release because that must be so frustrating. Um, you know, having seen so much success in uh, earlier career, um, and just you know, putting your putting everything into these projects and seeing them go nowhere, um, two big um, disappointments in a row must be tough. Um, so coming back to Stadium more generally, you know, um, why why was this? Why you know why now? Why did this happen? Um, like I said, I think it's 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 big news because it shows. Um, first of all, I think that Stadia is not going to be, and I think this was probably clear to most people for a while, but it's not going to be this huge disruptor that I think it did have the potential to be when it was announced. You know, when they announced Stadia, I um, I pre-ordered. I thought it was really interesting. I'm quite um, keen on game streaming more than I think most people. I know there's some issues, uh, some really significant issues in terms of latency and stuff. Um but I was keen to see where it was going. And I think the potential was really there. Um, some weird decisions, I think, that were made, you know, this this focus on the kind of um, purchasing model rather than a kind of streaming Netflix type uh, or you can eat Game Pass type model uh, seemed really weird and, and certainly didn't work for me, um, given that you, you don't then own any kind of... Um, any kind of physical product or even a license, uh, well, license to play through the platform, um, but it just seemed to to be so risky and also quite um, just didn't seem to align really with the vision that they were talking about. You know, for me, the future, the the streaming focus, um, it fitted really well with this uh, kind of all you can eat buffet type approach um, and it was very strange um, that they didn't pursue that so if they continue to go down that route I I, I can't see a future really for this um, platform I'd love to be proved wrong and um, now the reason why they say they've um, ceased development um, is that um, well Phil Harrison anyway mentioned that um, one of the factors uh, behind it was the uh, Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda, which is a really weird thing to say, because on the surface, and really, actually, if you dig any deeper, um, I can't see this logic. But he did also mention that, you know, the cost is going up exponentially of developing games. And that, I think, was kind of true and obvious to anyone uh, paying attention to the industry. I'm not sure the, you know, six billion... 
dollar purchase of Bethesda necessarily changes that. But maybe what it does show is that, um, you know, to be competitive uh, in this market, um, developing your own games is something that I think they just decided the numbers didn't work out for them, um, which is fair enough. Um, but also, you know, if they'd have had the subscriber base, then maybe maybe the numbers would have worked better. So I do think it's, as I say, um, this is big news and important news, so I wanted to cover it. But I'm also conscious that not everyone is as interested in Stadia or streaming gaming as I am, so I will probably uh, leave it there. But yeah, the, my take on this, as I said, is you know, just what is the future and what is the point of Stadia? And as someone who pre-ordered and then cancelled, I uh, should clarify, um, I did write a piece on this for Jump Cut a while back, probably a year ago now. Um, so if you're interested in my kind of thought process through that, uh, go and check that article out, please. That would be great. We'll always do with the clicks. Um, but yeah, I was interested I then felt that they weren't delivering on their promises and that they would need to um, get closer to that uh, before I'd consider it. And actually, over the course of the year or so since it's launched, um, I think if anything, they've, um, you know, the service has, has taken too long to even introduce the features that they had talked about pre-launch uh, and now, you know, taking away a really specific reason to play. Why would you, you know, you'd have to choose that service over um, uh, over a sort of PC and a purchase model or over something like Game Pass, PlayStation Now, even GeForce Now on the PC. So it just... Um, strikes me and Luna of course Amazon's Luna um, is that more or you can eat version uh, subscription version of a similar service which uh, I think is still in quite limited access beta at the moment but will no doubt uh, roll out more widely so yeah I think this is bad news for Stadia um, I think it's big news for the industry um, and um, hopefully that uh Hopefully it will end happily, but I'm not um, I'm not confident, I've got to say. Of course, um, Ubisoft are one of the um, pretty uh, big supporters of um, streaming platforms. You know, they've, uh, I think they offer a channel, uh, a subscription through Amazon Luna, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I think a fair few of their um, Console, uh, a fair few of their titles uh, run on Stadia. I know they had a they had a specific deal, didn't they, for a sort of um, kind of preview demo of uh, Gods and Monsters, Immortals, Gods and Monsters. Is that the right title? No, Phoenix Rising. It was Gods and Monsters, wasn't it? At one point, I uh, lost track for a second there. So um, anyway, moving on to Ubisoft. Uh, that was the um, tenuous link to follow. And they had two stories out this period, um, the first of which dropped on the day of the last podcast. So again, slightly older news, but a big one for me personally, the Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, remake has been indefinitely delayed um not a huge story i think um anyone who saw that reveal uh, it definitely got quite a hostile reception it didn't look that impressive at all i mean the original game uh had a had a pretty um was pretty stylish obviously it's it's old now and needs a a facelift um but it wasn't really much more than that and i think with the bar being raised so highly by things like uh, Resident Evil 
2 remake uh, and 3 uh, in terms of um, the presentation side anyway uh, and you know Final Fantasy 7 remake god that's you know but if that's the standard for remakes this was definitely much more of a, a remaster or even a an HD version um, not even looking that altered so I'd be really interested what this means I think indefinite in terms of delay could you know, could just mean um, they don't want to put a date on it, which in the current climate would be totally understandable. Um, but reading their um, their sort of little press release on their tweet, um, they did talk about um, giving it a freshness as well as staying loyal to the original vision, uh, which to me feels like a more substantial um more substantial change. So I wouldn't be surprised if this um, goes at least back towards the drawing board if not all the way there um which you know as a big fan of the original um i would love to see uh prince of persia sands of time i'd love to see that game uh, given its dues but really more than anything i'd love to see uh that um, be successful and then act as a, a way to get that franchise back into you know, into circulation because, um, yeah, I was a big Prince of Persia fan. The reason really it seemed to die was because Assassin's Creed was, you know, operating in a quite a similar space, you know, the um, sort of traversal and combat. It took quite a lot of the elements of Prince of Persia uh, and made them um, slightly more sort of stealthy, slightly uh, different kind of context. But now that Assassin's Creed has moved so far away from that, I think there is a real potential for Prince of Persia series. And like I said, I really enjoyed it. So I'd like to see it back. Um, and it sort of ties in with the second piece of news from Ubisoft as well, because the second one was they had an investor call after the last pod. So we're back. We are now uh, up to vaguely current news. So thanks for bearing with me. Um, but yeah, they uh, had an investor call where they said they wanted to have less of a focus on AAA uh, games, more on their essentially on their back catalogue and other other ways of making money. Um, so what did they say specifically? Uh, essentially, they'd, they'd said they'd already st- said they'd have three to four AAAs this financial year, so they're sticking to that as fiscal 2022 for them. So that takes us through to what March end of March 2022 so this won't come into effect this this current year um, but then it says we'll see we're progressively continuously moving from a model only focused on AAA releases to a model where we have a combination of strong releases from AAA and strong back catalogue dynamics but also complementing a program of new releases with free to play and other premium experiences so what does that mean well um I think it could mean uh, quite a lot in the context of that Prince of Persia um, chat, for example. So, you know, if um, they are seemingly looking at kind of revisiting their back catalogue um, as more of a strategic thing, then that could e- that could definitely um, kind of coincide or rather um, link in with um, putting a bit more emphasis on that Prince of Persia remake. Maybe that's what they're doing. Um, you know, if it's going to be potentially a flagship, not just for the Prince of Persia series, but, um, you know, 
flagship's not the word I'm looking for, but you know, the uh, sort of first uh, first attempt at going back and revisiting uh, old catalog, um, then obviously they want it to be successful and to have an impact. Um, and so, yeah, I think this ties in with that announcement and means that we might see a more significant investment in that um, title, which I'd be thrilled about. Uh, the other side of it uh, was that obviously they mentioned free to play and other premium experiences which you know have made some people a bit nervous i think um you know i've heard uh, i think very sensible voices talking about the fact that this was an investor call and they were obviously going to talk about these and i just think it's a you know it's just realistic uh, what is um selling and making money for companies right now and what they don't say is they're going to move away uh, from um AAA so you know they're going to move away from you know big single player titles for example which they've always been really strong at um so I think people are naturally a little bit nervous about this uh this sort of statement um but I do think there are some positives and I don't think it's necessarily as um significant as uh, it might have seemed initially um and like i said you know i think there's real potential there in their back catalog for them to go back and um deliver some really good games that i would definitely love to revisit prince of persia is a great start and a good example um remember you know they um ubisoft developed some really good i think 2d raymans uh Rayman titles uh, in the last generation. Um, you had this beautiful, was it the Ubi Art framework? Um, but this really sort of gorgeous, uh, almost like a painting style of uh, 2D side scrolling with some sort of fun uh, and quite a lot of variety in the gameplay. Um, so there were, I should have uh, double checked the names as always. I usually do, but there's always a couple that slip through. The Rayman ones, I think Origins was one, uh, and maybe Legends. Let me, uh, you know, give me uh, give me marks on my memory for those two. But yeah, I think Legends was definitely uh, one of them. And did really well. It incorporated some musical cues and stuff like that. It was really, really good fun. I loved those games. Really, um, really enjoyed playing them through. I'd love to see another another Rayman title. And that, to me, strikes me as something that would fall within this, you know, suggestion that really what they're doing is broadening out what they're going to bring uh, to the table. Um, Cam Hawkins on Unlocked, I should give credit to for mentioning two other titles that I'd love to see. Um, revisited or even just um you know explored similar sort of ideas they um around that time with raymond they also had uh, a couple of really nice little smaller titles that i thought um did something really interesting so valiant hearts uh was uh was a really good and really moving actually uh game set in the in the second world war um so that is definitely one worth checking out if you're not aware of it and i'd love to see something else along those lines and also child of light um which i i'm thinking about going back to actually because uh, i don't think i ever got that far through it but another of those sort of 2d uh, really stylish and really interesting games from Ubisoft of the past. So, yeah, we have seen more recently the sort of uh, ultra big budget open world, this focus on 
uh, quite samey in some ways, uh, but always, you know, hugely sort of time consuming and ambitious games. I'd love to see a bit more variety. And that's what I'm taking from this, hopefully. Uh, and plus, if we are going to revisit that catalogue, yep, I'm on board the Splinter Cell remake as well. Yes, please, Ubisoft. And speaking of uh, publishers going back and uh, revisiting old franchises, uh, hey, look, there's almost a flow to this episode. Who'd have thought it? Um, there are very fresh rumors from Konami over the last few days. Um, mostly the story is at um, VGC. Uh, so credit to them for doing some digging around. And they've mentioned that they believe there are two, not one, but two Silent Hill, um, I was going to say remakes, it's not remakes, but uh, new new Silent Hills in development, uh, reinterpretations, reimaginings, any of those words that uh, all sound kind of horrible, reboots maybe even. Um, but yeah, two, two titles out of Silent Hill, um, and that also uh, Konami are looking at um, the Castlevania and Metal Gear Solid franchises as well. And it's interesting, so obviously great news, you know, Konami has sat on these um, really, really um, well-loved franchises with loads of potential, uh, not doing anything with them. It's a huge source of frustration, I think, for a lot of gamers. They're interested in working with external companies, uh, but are some years away. Um, and so that's really the, the VGC story, um, which is good news, I think, positive news, because I think people have been really... Um, waiting for some good news out of Konami. You know, they're one of the, or they at least at one point, were one of the really big hitters in the industry. Um, and where someone like Capcom, I think, has really sort of found their feet with um, a nice new rhythm on, particularly on Resident Evil anyway, and Monster Hunter. Um, Konami just seems to be going through this horrible period of kind of decline and indecision and almost um, irrelevant. So it'll be great if those titles um, do actually see the light of day and even better if they're actually any good. Uh, and speaking of which, um, one of those two Silent Hill uh, games um, may well be uh, Bloober Team's next title. Um, and that does get me very excited, I've got to admit. So uh, this is credit to gamesindustrybiz, uh, gamesindustry.biz. If you go and check out their website, there's a really brilliant interview with Bluebird. And I, I mean, as someone who really enjoyed the medium, uh, and I talked about that on last show, if you missed that, definitely go back and have a listen. Also, I did write a review for Jump Cut of the medium. Um, really enjoyed that game. And it's worth uh, going and checking that out too, please. Uh, if you've played it or if you're just interested, let me know uh, what you think and hopefully you enjoy the review. Um, but yeah, really good interview with um, with Bluebird at uh, Games Industry Biz. Um, and uh, not just because it uh, also uh, helpfully uh, ties in with quite a lot of what I was saying in my review. Uh, I'm not just a shameless self-promoter, uh, but, you know, when the opportunity arises, I, I'm not going to turn it down. Um, and, yeah, sort of, they talked about how the medium was what they described as, quotes a project on the edge. And basically what they were saying was that pre-the-medium, 
you know they've been known for some um psychological horror first person um and quite um I wouldn't say unambitious because that sounds quite judgmental but you know with with reasonable goals in terms of their budgets you know they were trying to develop smaller games um on a budget um that delivered on their premise because they actually started and again it's really worth reading the review i think it's show sorry the uh, interview gives a really personal insight into the sort of life of a developer um they're very honest about the fact that they started off with a really bad misstep as a as a team uh we're trying to be far too ambitious and i think they they said something like we were trying to kind of you know ape the success or ape the sort of um, ambition of other teams and then they focused on just doing what they were good at which was psychological horror uh, they tried to focus on a very similar sort of game style and just get good at it. And I think they really have. And with the medium, as I talked about in my review, you know, they've gone third person. It feels like a really big step on in their evolution. But it does feel like the next game, whatever the next game they do is, that's the one that I think is going to be. I mean, I'm really confident in Bluebird's next game. Uh, I really enjoyed the medium but it still had some uh, compromises and still some signs, I think, that they were um, being quite cautious in terms of game, uh, sort of game design. Um, and it's really interesting anyway to hear um, the team from Bluebird uh, talking about, yeah, what they're aiming for now is to introduce more action, say, um, advanced AA games with AAA quality of graphics and animation but of course a little bit smaller so you know i think that's a really um realistic and sensible goal for them uh and based on the medium i am really uh i think they'll do it i think they'll release some really quality uh games and again they're not planning on moving too far away from the genre you know they still want to do psychological stuff still want to really focus on world building uh, but as i said and as they said rather they are looking to introduce um to up the level of animation you could see that still needed a bit of work in the medium uh, but also to introduce more action and, and just therefore open the appeal of their games a bit more uh, anyway, the reason why this is all relevant to the Konami rumours is that the um, interview adds, in fact, we've been working for more than a year on another gaming project, another horror IP, and we're doing this with a very famous gaming publisher. I can't tell you who. I can't tell you what the project is, but I'm pretty sure when people realise we're working on it, they will be excited. Um, so, yeah, I think VGC put two and two together on this. Uh, from the interview uh, Games Industry Biz uh, and have uh, concluded, I'm not sure they have any evidence for this, but they appear quite confident that one of these two Silent Hill games is going to be from Bluebird. Um, if that's the case, like I said, I'm really excited. I'm excited for whatever Bluebird are doing next. Uh, I'm particularly excited if it's Silent Hill. You know, they have... Um, built some connections there already so um they brought in the silent hill composer uh, as one of two composers on the medium he he scored the um the music in the kind of i can't remember what the spirit plane i think it's probably called uh, but one of the two worlds um and also i think the singer of some of the there was some there was some audio 
some audio tracks in that game, uh, including a pretty kick-ass final song from what I remember. Uh, and um, again, I think, I believe anyway, that uh, thanks to Wikipedia, um, that um, again, some of the talent there is um, from Silent Hill as well. So be really, really interested. As I said, I enjoyed the medium a lot. I think that they are ready for this. Uh, and I think that if they are doing a Silent Hill game, then that gets me very excited. <laughs> uh, so looking forward to that one. Um, and we'll, I'm sure, hear more. Um, seems like they are eager to tell people, but cannot yet. Uh, and the, um, the VGC story suggested that we might get a reveal of one of the Silent Hill titles this summer. Uh, so again, if that is the Bleber one, um, not too long to wait until they can speak about it, which would be great. So next section, I just wanted to talk a bit about the three main uh, console platform holders, because uh, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, I say it's a busy couple of weeks, um, but so far we haven't even talked about Sony, Microsoft or Nintendo, and all three of them have had something to say in the last two weeks. Um, not necessarily big pieces of news, but again, I think it's kind of telling and good that we've got something from all three. So Sony, as usual, probably uh, quietest of the three, although Nintendo usually uh, actually um, do, do a pretty good job of that too. Um, again, I'm not trying to make this a pat myself on the back episode but um ratchet and clank has got a release date uh if you were listening last time you will remember i was kind of speculating about what had happened to ratchet and um, when we might see it um just a quick recap you know they said uh when they announced uh, rift apart the new ratchet and clank game uh that it would be in the release window launch window of the ps5 um and i was saying you know generously i think launch window uh six months let's say so six months would take us to mid-may um and given that we've heard a bit about returnal which is kind of the next um significant playstation exclusive and nothing about rapture i was um expecting it to come out after returnal which is now late april so i thought maybe they'll squeeze it in middle of may just under six months and therefore be able to tick off their uh, little launch window claim uh however <laughs> the clearly launch window means seven months uh which i mean we all should have known right seven months is a t perfectly perfectly sensible uh definition for a launch window um no i think they've uh, i think they've probably slipped a little bit but they are launching 11th of june so it will be one day before the seven month anniversary of the ps5 um and that is your um next big sony exclusive so um I mean, anyone who saw that reveal, I think a lot of people will be excited about the new Ratchet and Clank. Um, you know, Insomniac have showed that they um, they can get a huge amount out of that console. You know, Miles Morales uh, and the Spider-Man remaster um, 
looked great on PS5 and uh, apparently plays great too. I would love to get the chance. Hopefully one of these days I'll get a hold of my console. Um, but yeah, Ratchet and Clank hitting 11th of June. So we've got Returnal on the PlayStation end of April and then Ratchet in June. Uh, the other news I think that implies anyway is that, you know, we got that sizzle reel where people were thinking we'd get um the new Gran Turismo we would get Horizon and we would get God of War this year on PlayStation uh if that's the case there those three are going to have to really all hit in the last six months of the year uh I I just don't see it personally I think that Horizon uh Forbidden West is going to be the kind of big autumn release the big fall release this year uh Gran Turismo I'd be interested. It's you know it's got a bit of a history of slipping, um, but I could see those two uh, complementing each other re really well. Uh, and you know it sounds like uh, Forza is um, further behind on the uh, Xbox side than you know I think most of us expected it. Maybe even to be a launch title, um, but you know maybe we'll see them go up against each other in the autumn. Who knows? Um, so that's the news on Sony release date for Ratchet and Clank 11th of June. Uh, on Xbox, um, we got some sort of more technical stuff. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to labor the point too much, but I thought it was interesting, you know, back in uh, before launch, actually, the Xbox team were talking about one of their backwards compatibility enhancements was going to be about the ability to potentially double frame rate um, and at launch what was really telling was that first of all no titles had this so they did have uh, auto HDR uh, and they did have quick resume uh, in most cases although they had some issues there in terms of which titles could support it um, but really you know having been such a strength of Xbox um, in the last generation um, I think actually Sony probably eclipsed them this generation by adopting a really wide and pretty comprehensive back compat policy uh, with the PS4 um, and nearly all PS4 titles running um, and running well on the PS5 um, but also that a number of them um, sort of got little mini patches essentially particularly the first party titles um, where you know things like God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, Days Gone I think was was one of the others um, and had this um, had this kind of frame rate uh, upgrade so uh, Microsoft being quiet on this for the first uh, few months of the Xbox was a bit strange. We have now had our announcement and we've had the first five titles released. Um, and uh, following <laughs> following a little break for my plugs for Digital Foundry, shout out to listener Scotty, who I know uh, lives for these references along with Spider-Man. So those two were for you, Scotty. Uh, but the... Uh, uh, digital Foundry analysis of, of this is really worth a watch on YouTube. I highly recommend it. Um, as always, they kind of dig into this. But, you know, from a from a technical point of view, there's, there's not a great deal for them to look at because um, frame rate on all these titles seems to now be really rock solid and in most cases doubles the original frame rate um, without needing the developer to do anything to the title. It's not a patch as such. Um, 
and so you know things that were running at 30 uh so far cry 4 was one of those examples watchdogs was another watchdogs 2 um so those two titles that were running at 30 fps and sometimes not quite hitting 30 are now running at 60 fps on the uh, series x and series s um and sniper elite 4 i think was another UFC 4 um, seem to uh, have different um, frame rates for different aspects of the game, but now is 60. Um, and then New Super Lucky's Tale is the fifth one of this first batch. Uh, and that's actually had a quadrupling <laughs> of its frame rate on Series S uh, up to 120. So on X and S, it runs at 120 frames per second uh, and is therefore apparently buttery smooth if you've got the right display. Um, so it's interesting. I think it's a big announcement. The games, I doubt, are going to set anyone's heart fluttering. Uh, although, you know, Far Cry 4 is good fun. Watch Dogs 2, I'd really like to play. I quite enjoyed the first one and never played the second or Legion. Um, so I've been sort of waiting for that, hoping that that was going to hit games with gold or something, but uh, hasn't done so far. But I'll keep an eye on that one and I'd, it'd be good to play that. Um, but really, this is a sort of technical demo. Uh, the big question is how quickly and how widely this is going to roll out, because um, apparently it won't uh, work perfectly for all titles, which is why it's not just a kind of system level switch, uh, but it will roll out as uh, a customizable feature for you to turn on and off in the titles that support it. Um, and that, that to me implies that it's going to be pretty widespread. Um, so, you know, I think the fantasy that a lot of people have immediately gone to is, you know, the Xbox One X version of Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, was running at uh, really, you know, I think it was 4K 30. It was certainly a really um, impressive, excuse me, a really impressive resolution. Uh, and, and actually sort of noticeably uh, upgraded on the PS4 Pro. So um, Red Dead 2 uh, running at 60 is, uh, 4K 60 is kind of everyone, seemingly everyone on the internet's uh, sort of dream scenario for this tech. So fingers crossed, you never know. Um, I suppose, you know, the developer does need to sign it off apparently to approve it because uh, it is a change to the way the game runs and therefore you know microsoft need to be a bit careful uh, they can't just force that sort of thing through the the uh, uh various devs might not be so happy with that um so it's more of a courtesy thing but it means that there is a chance that you know although something might be technically possible um it might be blocked for commercial reasons you know if rockstar want to bring out a a new gen version and charge for it they're probably not gonna uh, be happy with the idea of people could just double their frame rate uh, and get this 4k 60 version so we'll see but yeah as a potential that is really big news and feels like something that you know in an ideal world would have hit um at launch uh, because i think that sort of feature on a wider selection of games would have then been and will be going forward um, a, a big differentiator for Xbox. Um, and while we're on Xbox, and I really don't want to uh, fan the fanboy flames on this one, um, but I, I thought it was interesting, Xbox and PlayStation, so I thought it was really interesting. DF again, the Foundry did a 
did a kind of benchmarking thing on the next gen version of control so they used the uh, photo made um, and this was really interesting because it um, it's kind of the first time we've been able to see a real benchmark exercise making sure that things were exactly like for like um, apparently remedy have confirmed that the two titles are like for like on the two consoles and using this photo mode they could uh, they could essentially benchmark it so um, and what this showed was that the series x had a what well, i think digital foundry settled on a 16 percent uh, advantage. Um, now, before we get uh, into the controversy of that, um, let's just step back. I'm not saying that, um, well, I'm not really saying anything. I'm just observing. And I think it's really, what's really interesting is that clearly on a pure power advantage, you look at the specs, um, that kind of plays out. But what's really interesting, and now I'll get the fanboys the other way, um, is that nearly all of the real world comparisons, um, if any, if there's any difference, a lot of the things are sort of fairly like for like, but where there have been a difference, it's usually been the PS5 version of a game that's been performing better than the Xbox version. Um, so I just thought this was really interesting and worth flagging if anyone's interested in that side of things and hasn't seen the video, um, go and take a look because what I think it implies is that as we knew uh, on paper, uh, the Series X is probably more powerful, but also um, what it shows really, or, or the question it raises, is what is going on then between that theoretical lead and that real world, um, uh, not lead, <laughs> what's the word? <laughs> you know, that real world deficit uh, compared to PS5 performance. And, um, you know, maybe that is just inherently in the way that the um, PS5 is operating. And that's credit to, you know, getting the most out of the silicon. Um, and or maybe it is something to do with the uh, sort of software, um, you know, the 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 sandbox in which the software is operating. So essentially the, the kind of um, operating system really of the Series X, which implies at least that there is some headroom there which could be improved over time. So what I'm hoping this does is just even things out. I wouldn't want it to uh, necessarily translate to a real world performance uh, advantage for this Series X because I think those sorts of arguments tend to be quite tedious. Um, but certainly it suggests that over the course of the life of the machines, um, we should at least, uh, there's potential rather for the Xbox to start making up that ground. And hopefully then we can stop having these conversations and focus on the main thing, which is the game. And speaking of games, last thing, but news, significant news, uh, news because it exists, its very existence is the news. Nintendo Direct, uh, we had one for the first time in, well, since September 2019. So, so basically 18 months ago, the last time Nintendo uh, really properly uh, had a kind of big um, showcase uh, for its games, and particularly its games on the Switch. Um, that's like that's just mind-blowing you know they have had um 
they have had specific kind of events focused on specific titles since then. So it's not like they've been silent for 18 months. But yeah, that's a long time to go without one of these uh, one of these shows. And I think, unfortunately, in that time and certainly uh, in the few days that preceded it, expectations maybe got a little <laughs> out of control for this uh, event. But, you know, we did get a fair bit of news. I think it was still a little bit disappointing. I think what most people were hoping for was some kind of um, Zelda kind of um, collection, uh, given that we had the sort of Mario uh, collection last year and its uh, anniversary for Zelda coming up this year. Sort of felt like we might get um, something similar and maybe we will, or maybe we'll get some Breath of the Wild 2 news. That was, you know, the other big uh, expectation for Zelda. Um, We didn't get any of that. So um, what we did get uh, was three pretty big announcements. So um, on the Zelda side, that uh, Skyward Sword HD is coming in July. Um, so not a, not a game I've played uh, and one that I think is going to be pretty tough to go to actually after Breath of the Wild. Um, but the <laughs> they did a pretty good job of, first of all, saying, please, please be nice to this game, which I thought was, was an interesting angle. Uh, they clearly know that people were hoping for Breath of the Wild to uh but maybe that's maybe that's still coming uh who knows later in the year perhaps um but yeah in the summer we're going to get uh skyward sword hd uh another real focus of the show was uh mario golf uh super rush which quite frankly like I I sort of always been vaguely interested in these sorts of games you know mario tennis mario golf um didn't kind of jump into any of them in the past but um this one i don't know if it's just i'm missing the outdoors but i really like the look of this uh and we'll um yeah i think i might well pick it up so that's coming in the 25th of june uh and then the other big one which was the kind of one more thing at the end was splatoon 3 uh but that's not coming until 2022 um and you know i played the first splatoon a little bit i think there was a demo that was released so it's kind of fun um but um haven't jumped into that for me it's kind of um you know online multiplayer um shooters uh which I would, I guess, uh, include Splatoon in that kind of category. Um, you know, there's only so many of those you can play, and it's not really my my kind of bag anyway. I'm much more of a miserable solitary git, uh, so <laughs> doesn't uh, doesn't quite fit my uh, fit my uh, wheelhouse. Um, but there was quite a lot else released, and just picking out a few of them uh, announced rather than not released. Um, so it was quite a busy show. Um, and the ones that stood out for me, new Smash characters uh, always uh, make a make a splash. Uh, I'm not too bothered. I think Jason Schreiber um, had a brilliant tweet about this, uh, where he said, you know, something like, "Oh, good, we've got an anime character with a sword in uh, in Super Smash Brothers." Because, uh, yeah, I think uh, a couple of the characters from Xeno Chronicles, Xenoblade Chronicles Two, uh, are being added. Fine if you like that sort of thing. Um, the three that jumped out for me, Fall Guys coming to Switch, such a natural fit, and also coming to Xbox. Incidentally, it was announced uh, after the Nintendo Direct, uh, both in the summer, presumably after a year after they came out on. Um, playstation plus um but yeah if you're on one of those two platforms and you're not played four guys 
definitely recommend it. So much fun. Basically, it's a knockout or uh, Takeshi's Castle of the game. Uh, and particularly good if you fancy a bit of like kind of online quick silliness. But, um, you know, you want something where skill uh, isn't necessarily, I mean, it is a big factor in the game but um it's more just you know it's, it's just as much fun to play if you're rubbish basically which works for me quite nicely um one game that you will want to be good at is outer wilds uh which is coming to switch and i loved this game when i played it uh either early last year i think or maybe even 2019 ah oh, time is meaningless uh at the moment but speaking of time outer worlds is a sort of 22 minute time leap of a game and it's just so cool it's really really good game really good fun um interesting mystery to kind of explore love the time leap love the way it's delivered um really really good game and kind of you know quite touching as well so uh, if you've not played outer wilds or if you've just got a switch um pick that up if you've got an xbox it is still on game pass so i would highly recommend you playing that uh, and it is available to purchase on ps4 as well so um yeah if you uh if you have just a switch owner then that is really good news that's coming in the summer as is for guys uh, and then the last thing was project triangle strategy um which um project triangle strategy coming in 2022 that i mean what an exciting name that isn't um but it's kind of the successor to uh, what became octopath traveler it started off as project octopath traveler so uh, we may be able to assume that it's going to just be called triangle strategy when it comes out um but uh, in the same way as octopath traveler was you know eight different stories triangle strategy i think uh is three uh kind of um factions or worlds from what i remember zones um and you know it looked like an interesting uh turn-based rpg uh, strategy strategy rpg particularly because it was using kind of the height of the um of the battlefield um so that looks fun if that's your jam but um the reason why i call it out is i just really love the style of those games it's got a, almost a sort of diorama type look to it um and yeah clearly another big um big title uh on the switch so you know nintendo have come back they've kind of shown their around um i think there is more um there um than they talked about particularly because splatoon and triangle strategy are 2022 games uh, so that means that really all they've talked about is stuff coming in the summer so we still don't know about the autumn and there's still that big question mark about the zelda um anniversary so i still think there is probably something going on there um but you know the the sort of hopes and expectations i think people maybe had at the start of the year including myself i think i mentioned you know are we going to see this uh this Switch Pro, are we going to see Breath of the Wild 2? Um, I definitely don't think you should be confident in either of those. Um, but, you know, maybe don't rule it out just yet either. So that is a lot of news to have covered uh, and hopefully given you a flavour of what I think about those uh, particular uh, announcements. Um, yeah, like I said, 
overall quite a busy couple of weeks um i think some interesting developments uh we've learned a bit more about what's coming and when as i said i think it shows that it's going to be a really quiet next few months and um, the thing to watch out for really is these sort of more technical developments um and you know for the for the uh, ps5 and series x uh, obviously the big question is whether anyone will be able to buy them in the next three months so again i include myself uh, in the fortunate bracket of people that picked up a series x at launch really enjoying it um i also include myself in the people who are frustratingly trying to get hold of a ps5 at the moment but um you know there are worse things happening in the world so i won't complain too much uh and then at the publisher side again clearly you know there's a fair amount going on um quite a lot of forward looking uh, and yeah, maybe uh, less forward looking over at Stadia. So just quickly, I uh, thought I would um, go back and talk a bit about what I've been playing the last few weeks. Uh, it's not going to be a long section because it's not a lot, if I'm honest. I've been pretty busy the last few weeks with work and with some other stuff. Um, but I uh, wanted to cover uh, off these few titles. So um Honestly, Shadow of War, I mentioned last time um, that I was trying to get into it again, still just hasn't grabbed me. So I think I am going to bail for good. I mentioned that um, I have got a fairly epic um, backlog of games uh, and that one of my, I wouldn't say it's a resolution as such, but one of my um, realizations is that I do uh, have perfectly good reason to be a bit more selective now. So, you know, as much as I'd I really enjoyed Shadow of Mordor. I think I would enjoy Shadow of War once it sort of hooks me, but I've given it two goes now and, you know, life's too short, really. So I think I'm done with that game. Um, one game I did see through to the end much shorter uh, was Piku Niku. Uh, really enjoyed that. Really fun game if you've had a chance. Uh, it's on Game Pass. Uh, it's fairly short, really, really endearing. Um, all the way to the end made me chuckle and smile and that's kind of what I'm looking for from my games at the moment I don't know about you but uh, this current lockdown this current uh, weather and everything else is uh, is pushing me towards the uh, more towards the lighter side of gaming so maybe that's why Shadow of War is not hitting me quite at the moment um the only thing that, uh, sorry, on the on the sort of shiny, sunshiny, uh, sugary side of gaming, um, so I've been playing Mario Odyssey. Um, so you know, same uh, same kind of reason, really. Uh, just looking for a, an escape, really, uh, a sort of escapist fun, uh, and I have been really enjoying it. It's interesting though. I I can't say you know I was thinking about how well received it is as a game. And maybe it's just because it feels so jarring with kind of uh, how the world is right now. But um, I'm not I'm not connecting with that game particularly at the moment. So I'm enjoying it day to day. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not sort of, as I say, it's, it's not connecting with me at all in terms of like emotionally. Um, so I am uh, about... <sighs> three quarters of the way through it I think at the moment but sort of picking it up in small bursts enjoying it going to get to the end um wouldn't put it up there with my sort of top 
echelon of games. Uh, and I have bought um, the Super Mario 3D All Stars collection on Switch. So it'd be really interesting to go back and play um, Mario 64 in particular and uh, Galaxy uh, and see, um, yeah, if they, not Galaxy, sorry, Sunshine, see if they, um, if they kind of elicit more of a, more of a kind of a love. Um, but yeah, enjoying Mario Odyssey. But I think the, the thing that I would pull out of it was that I'm not loving it, which surprised me a little bit. Uh, and maybe again is the reason why it's taken me so long to uh, to get this far through it. Um, one game I did love, however, and do love is Control. And I've uh, started playing the Game of the Year edition on the Series X. So this is the enhanced version with ray tracing. Honestly, you know, I finished it on PS4. Um, so the reason for sort of revisiting it was mainly just to see what it looked like and how it played uh, in the graphics mode. It's uh, got some pretty impressive ray tracing um, and really nice uh, sort of visual effects. In the performance mode, it runs at 60 frames per second, doesn't have the ray tracing. Um, so it's interesting to see the two. Uh, I think a lot of people have have now been quite spoiled by Spider-Man having a sort of third option, which had some ray tracing and was 60 uh, with some, you know, compromises to make both of those things happen. I'd love to have that uh, experience, that option. Uh, right now, uh, as I said, I've been looking at it more from a kind of a showcase point of view uh, for the console. So I've been playing it in the graphics mode and just gawping at the gorgeous ray tracing but that is a gorgeous game anyway um i completed it on ps4 but quite a while ago so i am quite keen to play it all the way through uh probably will do not least because i really want to play the dlc uh which is included in the game of the year edition and i think i have to complete it to be able to do that so uh that's no doubt what i'll be playing over the next um, few weeks uh, and then the other thing I'm really excited about just quickly is if you didn't see Dirt 5 is one of the games that's being added to Game Pass I think in the next week on Xbox I think it's about the 25th of February uh, and again really looking forward to seeing what that looks like on the Series X although you know been very very spoiled by Forza Horizon 4 so I'm sure that you know it might not have that wow factor as such uh, my monitor doesn't support 120 hertz either which is a bit of a shame um, but looking forward to that but I'm just really looking forward to playing that game and you know to have a um, you know, one of the launch titles for Series X coming out on Game Pass, uh, you know, third-party title, uh, you know, five months, four months after launch is really good news. And I wonder now if going forward uh, we will start to see um, more of a trickle of uh, these sorts of titles, which would be great because I think particularly if you do did if you were fortunate enough to pick up one of the new consoles, um, you know, Game Pass is obviously such a good uh, such a good deal on any of the consoles. But now that you've also you're starting to get those games through that sort of make use of that new horsepower as well. So I'm um, really excited by that, both for the game itself and for the sort of um, 
message that it starts to send about Game Pass. Uh, and yeah, it should be a good few weeks. I expect to be playing quite a lot more over the next few weeks. Uh, and so I will no doubt talk about that when I speak to you next. And speaking of which, that is all we've got time for this week on the show. Thank you for making it to the end. As always, I am Giles Wentwest on Twitter, Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. My name is Giles Nicholson. If you do have any questions or anything you want to talk about, uh, please do get in touch. I'm really keen to hear from listeners uh let me know what you think of the show let me know what you think you want to hear covered um and actually also a shout out to anyone who wants to appear on the show i uh, had the pleasure of joining a, a jumpcast podcast um back in january really enjoyed having uh different voices to bounce off so if you would like to come on the show i would open out that invitation to you let's talk games uh, you don't have to be the old guy that is absolutely fine everyone is welcome uh, but this was the old guy gaming podcast because that's who i am i'll speak to you uh, in two weeks time cheers